Hi everybody, welcome back. This is AS for Alien Podcast and my name is Patrice. I know it's been a bit of a spell between uploads, but I have to say that where I live it's been summer, so I feel like, you know, that's as good an excuse as any other. If you follow me on my social media accounts, you probably know that I have COVID right now. So that's the reason why my voice is probably, you know, a little more huskier, a bit sexier than normal. So don't get too used to it. And, uh, you know, that's the perfect segue for a selfish plug. If you do want to follow me on my social media accounts, A is for Alien Podcast on Instagram is probably where I'm the most active. But, uh, yeah, I also upload my episodes to YouTube. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, please uh, like, comment and subscribe. You know, I just say that because everybody has to say that. It's like an unwritten rule. All right, so getting right into it. The reason why I decided to sit down and record something today is because I Googled something that I have never Googled before. And I don't know if you guys have been following me for a while, you know that my mind goes to some pretty like mysterious, dark, creepy places. And so this is a momentous occasion that we should mark. If you tend to like to keep your finger on the pulse of paranormal news, you'd probably realize that this is because of a particular story which has broken in the last week. Um, And I quote, Japan's killing stone splits in two, releasing superstitions amid the sulfur springs. So this article comes from the Australian version of The Guardian, and it says, Predictions of dark forces being unleashed by an evil vixen hung over social media in Japan on Monday after a famous volcanic rock set to kill anyone who comes into contact with it was found split in two. According to the mythology surrounding Sesoseki, or Killing Stone, the object contains the transformed corpse of Tamamo no Mae, a beautiful woman who'd been part of a secret plot hatched by a feudal warlord to kill Emperor Toba, who reigned from 1107 to 1123. Legend has it that her true identity was an evil nine-tailed fox whose spirit is embedded in the hunk of lava, located in an area of Togo... Tochigi Prefecture near Tokyo, famous for its sulfurous hot springs. You have to um, forgive that little um, mispronunciation. My Japanese teacher from school would be horrified. You know, I feel like we've had a fair few demonic entities released in the past couple of years, which has just kind of slipped by the wayside. So, you know, because we're obviously in some alien child's versions of The Sims, like, They're probably just lining up waiting for their turn to wreak havoc on us. There's a quote in this news article that I love and it says, um, Masaharu Sugawara, the head of the local volunteer group, told Yomiuri Shimbun, it was a great shame that the stone had split because it was a symbol of the area, but agreed that nature had simply taken its course. You know, demon's gone to demon. Like if a demon that's been trapped in the stone for a thousand years decides that it has broken free and it's gonna you know unleash its hellstorm on the world like that's just nature we just gotta let nature take its course so you don't have to be any kind of great demonologist or have any kind of great knowledge of demon law to understand the concept of a possessed object or item or person because you know we don't have to look very far in popular culture we only have to look at the conjuring uh, series and the work that Ed and Lorraine Warren has done to see that there can be certain objects, things that either possess um, an item by its own nature, by its own, not its own nature, what am I trying to say? I've got COVID fog, by its own volition, 
Um, or there are times when, you know, dark forces or demonic entities are forced into something um, by someone else. So at least for me, one of the first things which springs to mind when I hear about this is the Ring of Solomon or the Seal of Solomon, which was a signet ring which was attributed to King Solomon um, in medieval mystical traditions that also developed parallel stories with Islam and Jewish mysticism and also Western occultism because, you know, it was said to have been able to control both good and bad uh, spirits. And, you know, it was the predecessor of the Star of David, which then became, you know, the symbol of the Jewish people in modern times. So it's often depicted as either a a pentagram or a hexagram shape. And, yeah, it gave King Solomon the ability to command demons, jinn, spirits, speak to animals, all of that kind of jazz. And... You know, it was with the power of the Seal of Solomon that King Solomon was able to build the Temple of Solomon, which is what a lot of people don't realize is that the Temple of Solomon was supposedly built with the supernatural power of demons. And what's really interesting about that is that the Temple of Baalbek in Turkey also has very similar origin stories about being built with the power of the jinn there's not a lot of good stuff going on in our world right now and you know it's quite easy to get caught up in the doom porn and i don't really want to add to the negativity and to the sadness which is going along in the world but for entertainment value i'm going to all right so you got to stick with me here because i'm not sure exactly how this is going to come out you know with the COVID fog and I'm going to try and make it make as much sense to myself and hopefully you guys can all play along at home. So I feel like we're all pretty confident and comfortable with the concept of dark energy or demons possessing things. But, you know, I want to pose to you, do you think something like that can possess an idea or a structure, a social construct Because for whatever reason, when I read this story, it immediately made me think of the Seven Hills of Rome. And, you know, the Seven Hills of Rome has always really kind of piqued my interest. I thought it was a strange coincidence that there's seven deadly sins, seven fallen angels and seven hills of Rome. And so on that note, I'd like to introduce you to an old friend of mine, the Whore of Babylon. But before we get too kind of deep into this, It's important to note that there is a particular kind of symbolic meaning behind what Babylon means and what Jerusalem means. So the most widely accepted kind of common medieval view derives from Augustine's of Hippo's The City of God, which was published in the early 5th century. And it speaks of Babylon and Jerusalem being two spiritual cities that are spiritually at war with each other constantly throughout all history. And what's really interesting about this is that the concept is that love is what drives this war. This is a war of love. And, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like in this day and age, we just naturally assume that love is a good thing. But 
you know, love's neutral because good and bad things are done in the name of love. And in this case, this is kind of what this story tells us. So Babylon is interpreted as a state of confusion and Jerusalem is interpreted as a vision of peace. And they kind of, they war within each other because the love of God makes up Jerusalem and the love of the world represents Babylon. So the love of the physical represents Babylon and, you know, the love of the spiritual and mystical and of of God represents Jerusalem. All right, so you've probably heard the term the whore of Babylon before. And she's one of those death metal revelations chicks. Because, you know, Revelations is pretty death metal, if you ask me. Um, In Revelation 17, verse 5, she's referred to as mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and abominations of this earth. And, you know, I've been referred to as that by a few ex-boyfriends, but I've kind of always taken it as a compliment. Okay, so the passage from Revelation that speaks of the great whore goes like this. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, come hither, I will shew unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk from the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-coloured beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colour, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And then I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goes into perdition. And the ten horns which thou saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. And he said unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth, are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigns over the kings of earth. So you're probably sitting there thinking, wow, that's some pretty fucking intense, you know, medieval poetry that you got there, Patrice. And, you know, a lot of theologians tend to agree that the seven in this passage represents Rome. So there's some kind of entity creature that sits on Rome, controls the church, And that's what eventually creates the beginning of the end. But, you know, like I read stuff like this and I think, you know, it's it's obviously very kind of like Catholic centric. um, Which, you know, I'm not a Catholic. Uh, I'm not religious really at all. I probably identify more as 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 not agnostic than anything. But, 
you know, when you take that kind of framework away from it, there there are parts of it which do still kind of make sense, even without the lens of organized religion, you know, as it being a kind of warning for other things. And I think people who are too like vehemently anti-organized religion tend to actually forget that even though something may have an organized religion lens to it, that perhaps the kind of warning which is behind it might actually be sound, but they're blinded by their hatred for what something represents as opposed to actually looking and listening to what the message is. So quickly going back to the Seven Hills of Rome, I remember, you know, reading, seeing or hearing something which I thought was really cool. Um, I think it was one of those shows on, you know, the Vatican's secret archives uh, where someone claims that, you know, the devil himself is actually imprisoned underneath the Vatican and that seven fallen angels are trapped in the hills of Rome so that the whole kind of city itself is, if you like, um, a prison for demons. And that's the reason why the Vatican is there because it's kind of like it's housing demons, keeping them entrapped. But you know what the strangest thing is? And I don't know if this is a coincidence or, you know, it's very possible I could have made it up, but I've got a pretty good memory. So I doubt that that's what it was. But, um, I don't know. I'm, I've been finding lately that, you know, things that I read years ago, I just can't find anymore. Can't find any kind of mention of it anywhere on the internet. And, you know, it's, it's very likely that maybe a domain name expired or, you know, videos got taken down or whatever. But yeah, I I think it's funny for like, silly things like this that I can't find anything about you know something as ridiculous as oh yeah you know Lucifer is you know entrapped in the secret archive in the Vatican you know and I can't find anything I can't like it's like my original thought like I'm the only one that's ever thought of this and I just don't I just can't believe that (laughs) that it's been completely wiped off and I'm the first person to ever even think about it okay so hopefully by this point you're on board with the fact that I'm trying to create this image that the whore of Babylon, the symbol of, you know, the end of the world effectively, the end of the moral world maybe, will sit upon Rome, supported by the seven hills of Rome, which are said to contain the seven deadly sins, the embodiment of the seven fallen angels, and upon whom she has fornicated with all the kings of the world. So basically, like, everybody's on board with the Whore of Babylon. If you heard that sound at the last part, that was just, I think, a uh, truck's exhaust brakes. It wasn't the horns of Jericho just before anyone gets too excited. Okay, so this is all very important to what I'm about to tell you next. So Proverbs 9 also mentions seven pillars. Interesting. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine and also set her table. She has sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point in the city. Let all those who are simple come to my house. And to those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked will incur abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who will go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Okay, so now we have this verse that tells us that wisdom's built a house and she set up seven pillars and it's a good thing. I mean, it's not the first time that the Bible contradicts itself, I guess, you know. But I don't know, when I read that verse, knowing what Revelation says, it kind of makes me a little bit nervous because, I don't know, sort of feels like a trick, doesn't it? So now in 1975, some evangelical types jumped on this concept of seven pillars. So Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission, developed a God-given, world-changing, and I quote, strategy. The mandate was to bring godly change to nations by reaching seven spheres or mountains of societal influence. So the seven spheres are religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and finally, business. You know, this is such an interesting topic to me, like the evolution of like Pentecostal and evangelical churches, um, you know, the rise of basically Christian nationalism. Like it's, it's pretty wacky because basically, you know, they call it the seven mountains mandate um, and dominionism is kind of what it's kind of been known known as more recently from the 1980s onwards. Um, but yeah, essentially what it is, it's the grounds for spiritual warfare. And so that's why I've made this podcast, because I was thinking about, you know, the whole concept of, you know, demons being trapped in a physical thing, you know. But what if what if demons can be trapped in like an idea, like education, like business, like politics, you know, and perhaps these these seven mountains are actually pillars of society. And yeah, it makes you wonder then, if you don't trust organized religion, what the push is for these seven pillars of society to be kind of reinstated by these religious groups, you know, because it's kind of exactly bringing to fruition the prophecy and revelation. And I feel like maybe that in itself is where the danger and the evil is truly hidden because you know are these people doing it are they pushing these agendas are they doing these things do they have these seven mountain mandates because they actually do want to bring on the end of the world either morally or other you know under the guise of helping under the guise of goodness under the guise of love which we've established is actually neutral and good and bad things are done in the name of love you know and that's what that tells us is that the battle eternal between Jerusalem and Babylon is one of love, love of God and love of the earth. And you know what? We're in a really weird time right now because however you see God, however you connect with your own inner spirituality, those lines are getting really blurred. 
I'm not here to flame anyone's personal beliefs, but I definitely believe that there is danger in this level of thinking, especially in the world that we're living in now. And I think that regardless of what you believe or don't believe in, it's becoming, you know, more and more apparent that we are surrounded by people that do actually have these crazy beliefs. And I think we do really have to be comfortable with the fact that there are people in power that would gladly welcome the Antichrist because what that means to them and their modality of belief is that the second coming of Christ will come soon after, you know, and we're all going the hell in a handbasket with them. All roads lead to Rome. That's what we have to remember. All right, guys. Well, that's all I'm going to say on that topic. Um, I strongly encourage that you do look into it yourself. It is a very fascinating kind of rabbit hole to go down. You know, I feel like everybody should kind of do a little bit of research into the charismatics and the evangelicals anyway, just because it is like pretty interesting. And it's kind of crazy when you look at the world and global politics at the moment um, and and see how things are going, especially here in Australia, because I'd just like to take this moment to remind everybody that our prime minister right now is a Pentecostal. So... You know, that may or may not explain a few things to a couple of Australians if you're listening to this. I think also it's important, the important takeaway from this is remembering that just like good and evil, like love is neutral too, good and bad things are done in the name of love. You know, so I feel like the best thing that you can do and the best way that you can be is to try to be fair, not good. And if you're trying to maintain that balance, if you can maintain fair decision-making instead of good decision-making, I feel like the world would be a better place. So yeah, on that note, guys, stay safe. Don't release any demons. We've already got enough as it is. And that should be about the end of this episode, guys. So uh, yeah, look, it's the end of summer now. The times are getting colder, the trees is getting closer to hibernation, and so what that means is that I'll probably be more inclined. Oh my god, can you speak English, Patrice? I'll probably be more inclined to get behind the mic and do a little bit more research. I have been tentatively looking at different topics that I'm thinking about tackling. Um, some kind of really interesting ones. I don't know what this winter's going to feel like. I don't know. Do you want a little bit more kind of paranormally stuff? Should we go back down the alien route? Mm, I don't know. I'm just keeping it all really fluid. I'm just going with the flow. But as always, you know that I love your feedback and comments. So if you've made it to this point in the game and you're listening to this, I would love it if you sent me through an email or left me a comment because I love reading them. And um, yeah, I love interacting with you guys. It's by far the best part of uh, doing this I really love the community of people that we're kind of creating and the cool stuff we talk about so you make me smile every day all right thank you so much thank you and I will talk to you soon hopefully with more um see look this is the thing I can't remember I've had COVID for one week and I can't remember what is it with more consistency that's the word I'm looking for all right okay guys bye bye I love you bye